And we're back, Aussieverse here. Thank you for joining us. I am Omnibo, joined by Mark Rod Watson with special guest Ryan. How are you guys? Doing good. Great to be Doing here. Very good. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us today for this very special episode. I am super pumped for this episode because it's talking about my favourite thing of all time, Spider-Man and the original movie. As usual, please take the time to like, share and subscribe this so that we can get to that 400 subscriber giveaway that we're going to be talking about and announcing soon. Although by the time this video goes out, we've probably already announced what the actual 400 subscriber giveaway is. Uh, and also don't forget to check us out on Instagram at Aussieverse Comics Collectors and all thumbnails, designs, clips, and everything that actually takes a bit of work is done by A51 Designs, but you can check out at Instagram there. All right, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Yeah. Um, after careful um, analysis of our last few reviews, we have gotten some feedback about how to better structure our show, which is actually really great welcomed feedback. So instead of us just shooting from the hip, and just talk and talk and talking about all sorts of different stuff. We are now going to have different segments that will uh, hopefully make it a lot more digestible and a lot more better to watch because, uh, you know, there might be something that you don't really care about. So you can fast forward and go to the next segment. First up, thoughts before re-watching the movie or even before we watched it for the first time. Let me take you back, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. This is going back into the early, way early 2000s, where Marvel had sold all of their rights to avoid bankruptcy, and they were they were in a very precarious position. The only success in a movie that they had made was Blade, which I'm sure we all loved at the time. Some of you might not like it anymore. Some of you still might find it very good and, and uh, enjoyable. 9-11 um, happened, that tragic event that ended up shocking the world. And since then, it uh, made Americans really um, embrace patriotism, which affected a lot of movies. And it also affected some of the scenes in Spider-Man, which we'll talk about later. After many failed scripts, after many different castings, Sam Raimi, the legend behind cult favourite horror movies, was hired to direct Spider-Man and Sony obviously had bought the Spider-Man rights so bing bang boom we had Spider-Man coming to your screens for the first time ever take it away one of you guys I'll yeah, let Mark go first oh okay, I'll go well for starters for me um I am not the biggest Spider-Man fan to start with um I don't know what it is about the character just nothing really was there for me that I'm not like you guys that just love and adore Spider-Man. I don't know what it is. Just for some reason, I just didn't. So I wasn't as excited, but I do did want to see a superhero movie. And I was actually pretty excited to re-watch this. So going in, re-watching it this weekend, yeah, I, I went in with just more of an open mind and, and stuff like that. And, yeah, I... Yeah, as I said, it's not a massive deal for me like it would be for a Batman or something like that. Even as a Marvel character, Spider-Man's not up there. But I do love his villains. I do love the casting. And, yeah, I, I enjoyed Well, we'll talk about the movie later on. Ron? With me, I fell into a very interesting category with this movie. <laughs> I think I would have been three or four years old when I first <laughs> saw this movie. And as a and I was enamored with it. Like I had my Spider-Man action figures. I even had one that had that came with like a car back from Toy Biz days. Like the perfect age for this movie. You've just become obsessed with it. You become obsessed with Peter Parker. It's the perfect gateway for this character that led to a nice spiral for my bank account. <laughs> You, uh, uh, well, for me, um, this was something that I I cannot explain how pumped I was for this movie. Um, if it came out, uh, I would have been about 19, 20 years old uh, at the time, and this was everything to me. 
This was everything. When I saw those trailers, when it was leading up to it, I had never been more pumped for anything in my entire life. Um, this was this was everything that I cared about coming to the big screen for the first time ever. And I, I was counting down the days and the months and the, it was just, man, um, before I had watched it, obviously you were, I was ecstatic about what we could possibly see. Um, back in these days, it's not like today where we knew um, everything about a movie before it comes out. Like nowadays, you know all the just so much about a movie before it comes out. And here, we really didn't know much. I think the only things we knew for sure was the casting, um, was that Green Goblin was going to be the villain. Uh, and that was pretty much it, I think. So the rest was just a mystery. Um, and uh before going into the cinema um i i just i i couldn't sit still i was just yeah <laughs> so, so even just talking about it just makes me remember you know that feeling that i haven't had since probably um uh avengers infinity war or endgame didn't sleep much that night before <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right um yeah. so what what were your thoughts um watching it again before the rewatch for this video? I, well, it's a movie that is a very, very good movie, no matter when you watch it. It's a movie that you can just watch anytime and just feel comfortable watching it. So knowing that I was going to be rewatching it made me go and just feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's a comfortable movie to watch. Um, I always remember, like, I probably haven't seen it for probably a good five, six years. And I just remember thinking, oh, it was an enjoyable movie. So I had no worries watching it again. I was actually quite excited to watch it again because it had been that long. So, yeah. There's not many movies that I can sit down and watch a um, hundred times over. Um, that, to contradict myself, uh, Marvel movies have become a bit of the uh, exception to that. Um, but this movie is something that I'll probably watch at least once a year at some point. And even when I got it on DVD, um, it was the first movie that I ever watched where it had um, uh, features on it that you could watch the whole movie with director's uh, cut, uh, not director's cut, director's explaining throughout the whole movie. Commentating. And everything. Yeah. Uh, commentating, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I watched, when I first got it on DVD, I watched the movie. Then I watched it again with the commentary. Then I watched it again with all these pop-ups that would happen throughout the movie, giving you all the secrets and the this refers to this and this refers to that. And it was just insane how much I'd, I'd watch this film over and over and over again. So to watch it again for this video, easily, easily done. Yep. On to development. All right, so <laughs> Ryan's in got some March stuff. of 1999, Sony got the rights to Spider-Man. They then traded the rights that they held for Casino Royale to MGM to get the rights to all previous Spider-Man scripts. Wow. Now, using that, the main one they pulled from was the James Cameron iteration of the script. Now, from that iteration, the big thing that comes from it is organic web shooters. The villain in that, well, there's two villains in that iteration, and it was Sandman and Electro, which in January 2000, Sam Raimi is brought on to direct. Among a, There was a couple other options as well who almost ended up directing this movie, including Ang Lee, David Fincher, M. Night Shyamalan, Michael Bay. Imagine Michael Bay's Spider-Man. That's why I <laughs> David Cope is then brought in to write the first draft for the script, and then the first thing he does is he switches out Sandman and Electro for Green Goblin and Doc Ock. Then, later on, Sam Raimi felt that 
Doc Ock didn't really have a place in this movie and be easier to tell two origin stories than three. So he boils it down to a story about fathers and sons and brought in to rewrite it is Scott Rosenberg. They then rewrite the script, no Doc Ock, Doc Ock's gone. Then the next person brought in to rewrite this movie is Alvin Sargent. He then punches up the dialogue for the movie, in particular the dialogue between Mary Jane and Peter Parker. All that was all pumped up. Now, the with this movie, we almost didn't get the comic accurate Spider-Man costume. Alex Ross actually designed a costume for this movie, which was later used as influence for the superior Spider-Man costume. If you've ever, there's concept art of it out there. I think there's a physical suit of it out there as well. And you can, if you've ever played the Spider-Man video game that the movie, well, that they based the movie on, you can see it in there as well. Green Goblin as well. He almost had an animatronic mask instead of the good old Power Rangers suit. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. That uh, animatronic uh, mask, I wonder what that would have looked like because I know we've seen it. Um, on You can look it up on YouTube and stuff, but how it would have looked in the final version of the movie, that would have been very interesting. Yeah, to say the least. It would have looked <laughs> very creepy. Yeah, I yeah. think it might have been better than what they went with, though. Who knows? I do. Yeah. But it was very in its time, wasn't it, though, I suppose, the, the suit that they went with. Oh, I hated it. Yeah, I hated it. Watch it today. There's really not much that I hate about this movie, but but that Green Goblin costume was always something I hated. Yeah. It looks classic, doesn't it? It's just horrible. It's just horrible. With um, this movie, there is... When they were looking for their Peter Parker, there was a couple options that they considered before they got to Tobey Maguire. These options were Leonardo DiCaprio, who was almost cast in the James Cameron version of Spider-Man, yep. Jude Law, Heath Ledger, and Freddie Prinze Jr. of Scooby-Doo Yep. Yeah, That's wow. Um, what about prior to that, the whole Michael Jackson? Oh, yeah. <laughs> did, did you know about this one? Yeah, Michael, Jackson, Michael Jackson invited Stan Lee to Neverland to ask him to produce and star in a Spider-Man movie. And when they rejected the offer, Michael Jackson said, fine, then I'll just buy Marvel. And he was going to, but... Thank God that didn't happen because I can't. Hey, and I'm a big Michael Jackson fan, but I can't imagine a. Oh, a spider sense is tingling. I just <laughs> wouldn't have worked, would it? <laughs> just moonwalk over everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, but James Franco um, uh, actually went for the role of Spider Man and was unsuccessful, but then got the call to still be in the movie as obviously Harry Osborn, which he. Obviously accepted. Mm. Same awesome. thing with Joe Mangianello. I believe he went for, it was either Peter Parker or Harry Osborne, and oh. he ended up as Flash Thompson. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. That's a bit of a sad role compared to Harry Osborne, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Norman, we almost got was... Nicolas Cage as Norman Osborne, <laughs> Norman <laughs> Carey as Norman Osborne, Oh, man. And Jason Isaacs as Norman Osborn. Oh, wow. God, <laughs> could you imagine Jim Carrey as, as Norman? And again, I'm a Jim Carrey fan. However, no. not Just as not evil enough. Yeah. yeah. No way, man. Mm. No way. Yeah, well, they definitely hit the right mark with, um, well, what's his name again? Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Willem yeah. Dafoe. They certainly did. The two perfect castings in this movie. Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin, and I'm sure you guys can guess the other one. J.K. Simmons? J.K. Simmons as J.J.J. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. I mean... I only 
didn't expect you to agree with me then. I just put it out there because I like that one. <laughs> no, that is absolutely perfect. It's so perfect and so globally accepted as perfect casting for JJJ that they brought him back as JJJ for the current Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Also, too, when I was re-watching it, I noticed that um, the music sounded familiar, like the the composer composing music. And so I looked it up and it's Danny Elfman and he did Batman and Beetlejuice. Yep. So that's similar yep. sort of music. And he's doing Doctor Strange coming up too as well. Yeah. Multiverse Danny Elfman has done many, many things. He's, a pretty, he's, he's really, really good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I knew it sounded like a Batman like Batman 89 and I'm just going, I looked it up and it was, it's the same, same sort of music. So, yeah. And I loved that intro, the music, um, even in Spider-Man 2, I thought yeah. the intros were just amazing. <laughs> Pardon the pun. <laughs> and Danny, Elfman, Danny Elfman is really good at developing iconic things that you just mm. recognize the minute you hear them. Yeah, definitely great. Anything yeah. else developmental? That's everything. Well, okay. Even with the star credits, like you said, they don't do that anymore, do they? Where they do like the names on the spider web or whatever the movie theme is, they just sort of like Bond. They used to do the Yeah. They don't do that anymore. I kind of miss that. Well, another thing they don't do anymore really these days either. I mean, you sometimes get it with a little with some TV shows like Stranger Things. But you don't have iconic music that's like actual songs, I mean, that that when you hear it, you know it's that movie, you know, Eye of the Tiger and things like that. And um, I think the Spider-Man soundtrack was the last movie soundtrack I'd ever bought. Um, and, I, and I loved it. I mean, there was probably only about two or three songs on the, on the CD that were actually in the movie. Uh, and the rest was just tunes that I'd never heard before. But I listened to that album so much in the last 20 years. It's got some great, great tracks on it. Really, really like good. Like Nickelback. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> the lead singer from Seifer, wasn't it? He, he yeah. was the guest singer, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about the, um, the, the tray table scene that they ended up uh, pumping out. There was rumoured to have been 156 takes for that tray table scene. Uh, Mark, do you know what I'm talking about? Where they're, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, however, that's that's not a, that's actually not accurate. Apparently, um, the designer was joking around uh, when they were doing all those things. There was multiple takes for the scene, but it wasn't 156. He was just joking and said, oh, now take 156. But if you look closely at the tray table, you can see a little bit of like adhesive or glue under the apple. And then it was later revealed that they used magnets for the milk and the jelly for that to go on there. But it was still very difficult to film. It would be, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess the only other things I want to talk about, I don't know if it's really development, but um, the World Trade Center ad um, leading up to the movie. For those that don't remember or are run aware, when when they released the trailer for Spider-Man, the very first teaser trailer was a shot of a helicopter going down in New York City. And then it goes in between the two World Trade Center buildings and it just stops in midair. And the camera pans out and the helicopter is webbed from building to building as if, you know, Spider-Man has saved it, which they ended up having to get rid of uh, due to 9-11. Um, but it was a great, great-looking scene. Really got you. There's even a poster with Spider-Man looking at the World Trade Center, which was recalled after 9-11, that is very rare now and worth a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. It's in his uh, lenses, isn't it? You can yep. see the World Trade Center, yeah. Um, the only two scenes, I guess, that I always uh, were a huge fan of, not the only two scenes, but two scenes that come to mind, is the fight scene between Flash and Peter. That slow-mo spider sense. That was the fly, you know. That was mm. that was brilliant because spider sense, I think, is one of these things that is really hard to depict on screen. Um, obviously, in uh, Tom Holland's new Spider-Man, they've really, really simplified it 
with just like the hairs on his arms and they haven't really overthought it, which is a good way to go. Um, but back here, uh, yeah, they, you can imagine Sam Raimi sitting there going, how am I going to be able to portray this on screen? And I think he did really well. Yeah, yeah they give you that really distinct cue where when you hear it, you know, yep, spider sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you didn't need to be told it. You just knew what was happening, yeah. And the other one would be um, much later in the film when uh, the Green Goblin throws those blades and Spider-Man slow motion moves like that. Because the one of the reasons why I always, I always loved that scene is because when you're a big Spider-Man fan, just like for anybody that has their number one superhero, most of us believe that that their favourite superhero is the best superhero out of all of them. And you can't talk them out of it because that favourite superhero of yours is unbeatable and can beat anybody. That's what we generally think, right? And one of the things that I used to love about, well, I, I love about Spider-Man is that in the comics they used to always portray that if even if someone had a machine gun and was at him, his spider sense would be so good and his agility that he'd still be able to dodge all these bullets, you know, which is obviously way impossible and, and absurd. <laughs> and this scene just showed how his agility and his spider sense work in tandem to be able to avoid the threats. And I thought that was really, really brilliant. There is one thing with that part of the film that I'm really curious about. So the scene after that is the Thanksgiving dinner where Norman brings the fruitcake. When did he get that fruitcake? Did he go blow up the building, go get the fruitcake, and then just wait for Spider-Man? Or did he wait for Spider-Man, the, get the crap beat out of him, and then go yeah. get the fruitcake? When did he go get his fruitcake? I have never thought about that. Wow. Yeah, it could could have been in his uh, in his in his little jet. It could <laughs> be in his car. <laughs> One thing I didn't notice too, like uh, another thing, uh, just picking like Ryan just did then, there was the time where um, Norman was getting depressed and he was hearing the voices in his head and he's got the robe and he's in this mansion of a house and he's drinking the scotch. You notice that it's like it's Maker's Mark scotch? Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's like cheap. Oh. Like, he's in a million dollar house and he's, he's having the most cheapest scotch ever. I mean... I was wondering where you were going with that. Yeah, yeah right. I just, I just saw him pour it in. I was going, that's Maker's Mark. That's like the cheap <laughs> stuff. I mean, like, this is a billionaire. He's in a mansion. Shouldn't he have better scotch widen? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's funny as well because um, one of the things after the millions of times that I've watched this that I'd never picked up on, and I just picked up on it now, which could be nothing. It could just be me looking into things. But... Um, the way Norman talks about his, his ex-wife, right, uh, he mentions to Harry Osborne they're all money, uh, they're all lovely until they want your money, you know, which, which shows the way he thinks about women and his past relationships. And yet in that scene, which is probably, I don't know if it's my favourite scene of the movie or it's definitely one of them, when Norman transitions between Norman and the Grand Goblin with the newspaper and he, when he turns around, you know, you see this portrait in the background of a woman wearing a black dress. Now, you'd imagine that that's not his wife, his ex-wife, because of the way that he talks about her. So that only leads me to believe that it's probably his mother. And later in the movie, uh, when Harry Osborne and MJ go out, Harry turns around to MJ and says, oh, you look wonderful, but why are you wearing that dress? I wish you wore the black dress. That's my father loves black. And it's like, well, maybe that's why, because it reminds him of his mother. Yeah. While we're talking about Willem Dafoe in this movie, we have to talk about what I think is his best scene in the movie. It's when he is looking at the goblin mask on the chair and he's just mm. talking to it and just trying to come to the conclusion of, I know Peter Parker is Spider-Man. What do I do with this information? And he's just talking to himself. And the goblin is just continually going, you, you can't destroy Spider-Man, but you know what you can destroy? You can destroy Peter Parker. You can get rid of this fool and ruin his life. Yeah. You can attack his heart. Yeah. This movie really was um, all about power. While 
the sequel was really all about responsibility. And one of the things that made me um, realise that, obviously it's because it's, it's, it shows the origin of Spider-Man, um, but the scene where the Green Goblin bursts through Aunt May's hospital, is it a hospital room or a bedroom? No, it's a bedroom. Um, that was scary. Mm. I don't know if you guys felt that, but you felt the way Aunt May felt. And she's she was terrified at this guy, just green thing. And it was, that was really well done by Sam Raimi. If you, yeah. you can look at it through a certain perspective as well. Aunt May is praying when he bursts through. So to her, it's just like this demonic presence bursting through and she's praying to yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one thing too, like um, how usually, because I don't read that much Spider-Man comics, how old are usually Uncle Ben and Aunt May? Geriatric. Yeah, it, it's it's a good question because one of the thoughts that I have with this movie actually is is I I really believe even though I was a big fan of um, of Martin Sheen and Sally Field as actors individually in the next uh, iteration, um, when it comes to the way they look in the comics and closer to the age, this Uncle Ben and Aunt May were actually really spot on. I think really so really. He did mention he's 68, Uncle Ben. Yeah. Uh, I thought when I was 18, none of my uncles were that age. Um, that's yeah. That's where I was sort of going. Uh, just trying to picture together what sort of auntie and uncle would they be? Would They They seem like grandparents. Uh, yeah. Ben was always, I think, in the comics, and if I'm wrong, everybody, please correct me, um, but in the comics, I'm pretty sure Ben was always at least 10 years older than his brother, Peter's dad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, that happens. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I, I just yeah picture to me they always seem like grandparent type. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um. Cliff so Robertson as Uncle Ben as well. He has a really good performance in this movie. Yeah. Like the movie is make or break if Uncle Ben does not work. If Uncle Ben does not work in this movie, this movie falls flat. Hundred percent correct. I mean, like. He only had a couple of lines too, and they they really did dig deep. And uh, he was literally trying to be a father figure to him. And you know, kids that age don't want a father figure anymore. And uh, you felt his pain, and then obviously in his death, you felt that too. Yeah, I thought with his limited access, I reckon he delivered really well. And, and you're right, Ryan. It, it was a crucial part. If that fails, then pretty much the movie doesn't set up the way it does. Yeah. And then you even get Norman Osborn trying to be this father figure to Peter after Uncle Ben dies, being like, oh, I'm really sorry. You can see that he treats Peter Parker more like a son than Harry Osborn. He feels like Peter is just this perfect son that he never had. He yeah. wishes Harry would be more like Peter. Yeah. And speaking, going back to Uncle Ben, um, one of the lines that always resonated with me and it, it really, it really affected me as a young man. Um, and I remember it for many, many years after is obviously you've got the whole power and responsibility line in the car. Now, at the in today's world, that is just a slogan that we hear a million times now. But back then when this movie came out, that was a huge thrill for me because you'd never heard it before other than the comics and maybe the cartoon show. So when he finally said power and responsibility, I just, I just, I was like this in the cinema going, yeah, he said the thing, you know, <laughs> but, but it was the line um, before power and responsibility that I'm talking about. Um, Peter um, is acting like a typical youth where all he cares about is, is trying to get money to get the car to impress MJ. He's being really disrespectful to his aunt and uncle, and Uncle Ben turns around to him and says, um, these are the years that you choose the man you change into. Who do you want to change into? And, man, that was just really powerful because I was around the same age. And mm. you think that to yourself and you're like, yeah, that, that's that's right. Do, 
now is the years that you really choose the decisions that you make about the character you want to have as a person, the person you want to change into. Do you want to be a good person? Do you care about being a good person? All of these really important questions. Um, and, and that just shows exactly what Spider-Man's done to me my whole life. Um, this time it was just in the movie. So, yeah, always loved that. It's a line that's even called back on later in the movie during the bridge scene where Green Goblin gives Spider-Man a choice. Do you want to save Mary Jane or this nice little cart full of kids? You are who you choose to be. Now choose. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's 100% accurate. Yeah. And I remember looking at that, like, you know as a fan when you're watching that for the first time that he's obviously going to save everybody. However... How? <laughs> How is he going to do that? How is he going to pull that off? You can only save one, and he does. Again, Spider-Man. Mm. Um, um, well, we've talked about casting a lot already, but I'm thought we've got some more notes on it. I know I do. Um, Mark, have you got any more casting thoughts? Well, I'll start off with uh, Bruce Campbell was in it as the wrestling uh, presentator and came up with the Spider-Man name. So I totally forgot about that. I was re-watching and going, that's Bruce Campbell. Like, I've always loved Bruce Campbell because I love all the Evil Deads and yeah. when, he, when he rocked up in Xena episodes and stuff like that and, yeah. yeah. There is one really big character we haven't met. Well, there's two really big characters we haven't mentioned yet. You've got Randy Savage as Boomstar. He's <laughs> yeah. That was going to be my next one, yeah. <laughs> And then you've also got Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane. Yes. Yep. She she nails the girl next door role in this movie. You can tell, you really feel the connection between Peter Parker and Mary Jane throughout the movie and why Peter would be falling for this woman. And you slowly see her throughout the movie just fall for Peter Parker and see that she can't have him. Yeah. Hmm. I've always had a huge respect for Kirsten Dunst because whenever I see a child actor act at a really young age and knock it out of the park, I like to follow their careers and see what they evolve into. And Kirsten Dunst, um, I first saw her in Interview with a Vampire and she was this tiny little girl that just, oh, man, like she was so good in that movie, you know. And it always blows my mind, really blows my mind how these young children can act so well. Always blows my mind. So, you know, like, you know, what's her name? Hit Girl and um, I don't know, I, I can't think of any other young actors. Holy Ghost Marine. Yeah. They're just, it, they're unbelievable, you know. Um, she was in Jumanji not long after, was she? Yeah, that's true. Yes, yeah, she was. Yeah, she was young and that. Mm. Um this was the first time that I ever saw James Franco. I'd never seen James Franco before this. And when this movie first came out, I was obviously a diehard Spider-Man comic book fan and I hadn't gotten to the mature levels that I am today when you watch a movie and you have to accept the fact that, as Mad Spidey said to us um, on a previous uh, live chat, you, you can't go into a comic book movie expecting them to tailor the movie to comic book fans because mm. there are more people out there in the world that are not comic book fans and you want to make a successful movie and make money, therefore things have to change to make it more relatable and watchable from the everyman. And when... Uh, I first saw James Franco as Harry Osborne. I hated the fact that he didn't have the Osborne hair that <laughs> he does in the comics uh, because to me that was iconic. However, um, James Franco, I feel uh, up until recent events in James Franco's personal life, I have always been a massive fan of James Franco and I thought he, he nailed Harry Osborne massively. I thought he just did such a great job. What did you guys think? I like uh, James Franco, well, obviously, until what's happened recently. But, um, yeah, that was kind of the first time I ever seen him too. And re-watching it, I realised just how much he looks like his younger brother, David. <laughs> he looks exactly like, I'm looking at it going, that's David Franco, basically. 
Yeah. It's amazing how they looked alike from, yeah, the age difference. But, yeah, thought it was good. Thought he played on it well. He has this look of jealousy on him, and you can just tell he's jealous. He has that look, that evil sort of look. But, yeah. Yeah. James Franco, he you can tell he's like the dependable friend, but you can also tell that he's a little bit of a snake in this mm. movie. Like how when Peter says a little fact about <laughs> spiders yes. to, to Harry to get it out there, and then he goes over to Mary Jane knowing that Peter likes Mary Jane. He's like, oh, do you know this about these spiders? There's... This, what a dog! A fact. Yeah. What a dog! How they even friends? I don't know. <laughs> Peter didn't crack it either. Like I don't care, mate. How good a character Peter Parker is, that is something that I never, I never understood. How could you never turn around to your supposed best friend and go, "What the fuck, man? Mm. Like, how could you do that to me?" You know, and he never did. Um, so yeah, that never made sense to me. He picked um, on him about the, the the fact as well. He picked on him and then he used it. Yeah. <laughs> um, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Hmm. Chef's kiss. I mean, I don't. I've, I haven't looked into it, but did he look or did he do any um, fact checking on J. Jonah Jameson? Did he read any comics? Did he or did he just get told to be that way? I'd like to know the answer to that. There's a screen test of him doing J. Jonah Jameson that's just on the internet, and he sounds perfect. That's <laughs> like, just from the screen test, it's the same as it's delivered in the movie. And it's that scene where he's talking about getting a photo of Spider-Man on the paper. Yeah. Get me pictures of Spider-Man! <laughs> uh, we already went over Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Um did you? I've got a note here as well saying uh, when we we're talking about casting, you already brought up how James Cameron was going to make one with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, did you know that also around that time, um, Tom Cruise was uh, going to possibly play a Spider Man? But in this script, Spider Man was going to have eight arms and Bob Hoskins was going to be Dr. Octopus. Yep, I read about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how that would have really. F I mean, like I could maybe see Tom Cruise and Bob Hoskins as the characters, but the whole eight arms thing. What? Were they going to be human arms, or? Yeah, I guess. I mean, that did happen once in the comics, but I don't know how you'd make a movie where that's just the way it is. <laughs> like, what? What would you make? Four legs and four arms? It would just be. It would just be four arms. Right, and you just slap people around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's all I've got for casting. Let's move on to the actual movie. All right. Before we do that, here's a word from our sponsors at ComEx. There is no I in ComEx. This show is sponsored by the ComEx shop. Check out ComEx.CX for all things ComEx and find out what ComEx is all about. Then head over to comics.shop to pick up a variety of Australian comics from multiple creators and publishers, all for one flat postage rate. We hope you enjoy the show. You want to support Aussie talent, Aussie artists, Aussie creators? You want to buy Aussie comics? This is the place to go. Comics are an amazing website. Back to the show. Um, yeah, what do you think about the movie now? I guess we're kind of... Talked about that a bit as well. I appreciate it for what it is. I mean, like a 20-year-old movie still stands up pretty good. Um, as I said before, I still enjoyed it. Like yeah. I, I sat down. It didn't even feel like two hours, to be honest. went pretty quickly. I, when I went to click on it, I'm going, oh, it's two hours. <laughs> I don't remember it being that long, and it didn't feel that long, and I mustn't have felt that way back then as well. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed the acting. Um yeah, Toby Maguire is still my Spider-Man. I know everybody has their opinion on that, but just re-watching it and going, Toby Maguire is my Spider-Man. So, yeah, what do you think, Ron? This movie, no matter when you watch it, it will always hold up because it's a timeless movie in a very good way. Mm -hmm. And 
one really good thing that this movie does so that it boils down like 120 issues of Spider-Man and gives you the dot points for everything that's important. And I would consider this movie one of the best origin story movies ever made. Easily. Yeah, 100% agree. When I re-watch it, um, there are, and again, I only say it because I have such love for the character that that being such a fan, is you're going to be its harshest critic. So even though I agree with everything you guys said, um, there is still some moments that bother me. Um, and there's not many, but, but there is. Um, one of them being, um, okay, so first of all, the whole organic webbing. I was furious with that when that when that when you first saw that. I was furious because it takes away the the genius that is Peter Parker. The scientist, um, yeah, creates which, it, yeah, yeah, which is a huge accomplishment and a huge credit to the character of Peter Parker. In saying that, it was done fine. You can't change it now. Um, what bothered me was the scene where they're in the lunchroom and Peter first discovers, you know, he's got the fork stuck to his hand, right? Um, what bothers me is what follows, which is he goes and he gets the tray and then he walks out of the lunchroom quickly. It's like people have seen that, man. <laughs> you know, you're not hiding from that. Um, and then, you know, I don't know how much later the actual character Spider-Man comes out, you know, a week later or whatever, you're telling me there is not going to be one person out there that's going to be like, oh, that's really funny. Um, this new person that's swinging around and we're, oh, I saw Peter Parker do that the other day in the lunchroom. I wonder, you know, no, no one's going to put that together. No, um, same thing would be the wrestling night too. Like he's, Shot the webbing up the top, like he had his mask off at the start of that when he was signing on, and yeah, you don't think people would have joined the dots, like you said. Yeah, but, but you have to think of it like this: they never outright state it really in the movie, but the movie takes place over a couple of months, yeah. Yeah. so you could easily forget that. Ah, oh, there was this kid one day at school who just dragged this thing along in the when we were having lunch. You would just forget that. Mm. Some things you don't forget in school. <laughs> the special things. To this day, the one thing that annoys me about nearly every Spider-Man movie, probably all of them actually, is how many people have seen his face. Um, there's a video that uh, a YouTube channel that I watch called Mr. Sunday Movies. They did a video on just how many people would know Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And they go through every single Spider-Man movie and they just show how many people have seen Peter Parker as Spider-Man. And it's just a shocking amount of people. Um, and that always bothers me because one of the core things about the comic is the secret identity. And he takes it off so much in front of so many people. And it's just... That, that always really annoys me. Um, well, the main reason that they always have him take his mask off or have his mask get damaged is just so that Tobey Maguire gets more screen time and he can do yeah. more acting with specs. Oh, no. Yeah. True. Um, I've, got a, I've got quite a few notes here, so if I'm, if I'm going on a rambling, please let me know if anybody wants to interrupt me. Um, other things to, to note that were great with this film is you want to... You wanna, you want to tell audiences what Spider-Man's powers are without without um, trying to be condescending to the crowd. That scene where they go to the science fair and the uh, the Asian um, doctor or scientist or whatever, she turns around and she goes, and the spider abilities are this and this and this and precognitive abilities and this. You're like, well, that's all of Spider-Man's powers. So I thought that mm. was great, the way that they introduced that. Um the first time Spider-Man clings to the wall. That was a freaking awesome. You dun, 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 dun. Oh, always love that, man. Always I'm not that. ashamed to admit that as a kid, I always reenacted that scene. But <laughs> on your floor and made it, made it look like it's a wall. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, the DC references, Aunt May yeah. turning around and saying, you're not Superman, you know, when Spider-Man tries to work out his webbing. Mm. Up, up and away. Shazam. Shazam. You know, <laughs> that always really made me laugh. Um, uh, you already mentioned Macho Man as Bonesaw, but a little, oh, I should have, oh, you know what, I'll save that for the Easter eggs. Um, the pumpkin bombs turning the people into skeletons. Yeah. That was a bit yeah, cheesy. It was. And just it just looked like a computer game, didn't it? Yeah. In general, throughout the movie, they're just inconsistent. Yeah. Like sometimes they turn people into skeletons. Sometimes they can hit Toby Maguire up close and just takes his mask off. Yeah. Although in saying that, that scene where he does the get the mask blown off and half of it. I loved that shot. Absolutely loved that shot. Um, Jameson not giving up Spider-Man when the Goblin attacks the Daily Bugle. Now, some fans theorise that the reason why he did that is to simply not give up his paycheck um, and put Peter in danger. I like to believe that no matter how much of an asshole J. Jonah Jameson looks like, Deep down, he's a nice guy and a caring guy, and he wasn't going to throw Peter to the wolves. And I thought that was that was a really good little scene there. Um, yeah, rewatching the other- that, I thought for sure he was going to give up Peter. I, I forgot that he didn't. Yeah, you know, I was going. Yeah, he's going to do it. He'll do it in a heartbeat. This just seemed like it was something he would do. But then, yeah. as you said, maybe there's more depth to him than we realise, and obviously we saw it. Exactly. Like Mark just said, it adds a lot of depth to that character. There's a lot about him that we just don't know. And the, yeah. good th- the thing about this is that entire scene could have just been avoided had Green Goblin just looked at the newspaper <laughs> and read photo by Peter Parker. Who, who threw the cigar back in too? That's what I want to know as well. Remember he throws the, the cigar goblin. out the window? Yeah, that was the Goblin. It was the goblin. No, I yeah. thought so. <laughs> um, the upside down kiss. Hmm. Talk about an iconic moment in cinema history. I, when this movie came out and I watched it for the first time, I wouldn't have thought that made such an impact, but it really did. The amount of movies, comedy movies that copied it afterwards, the amount of times it was referenced in other things, it even won the best kiss award at, um, I think it was Nickelodeon or... Yeah, MTV some, Awards, didn't it? Some, yeah, MT, actually, yeah, MTV Awards, I think it was. Mm. That was such a great scene, I think, you know. Um, that was beautiful, you know. And then when Spider-Man finishes kissing her and then just, um, I'm your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man, and then he goes mm. up and the camera looks at her and, and she goes, yeah, that was like those moments where you, you, you look at, the superhero through that person's eyes, how amazing they are. Again, yeah. pardon the pun. Um, yeah. Obviously, by some sheer accident, just started raining perfectly at that time and <laughs> that moment too, didn't it? Just to make it a bit more effective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Peter Parker on the roof of his apartment when Norman Osborn walks in. I think, again, that's an iconic scene with the drop of blood. Mm-hmm. That was very intense. They even made a film clip for, um, I should have written down the song, but one of the songs that was on the CD, um, I don't know if you guys ever saw the film clip, but the band is having, uh, uh, they're playing live and they've got all these people around them and they, they, they take that scene where Spider-Man's on the roof and the drop of blood, and it was just, you've got to look that up. It's, it's really well mm. done. Good rock song. Um, With that scene as well, that is one of the best played scenes in the movie as well because it really builds the tension up to the next scene where they're having the Thanksgiving dinner and you can slowly see Norman clicking from the blood splatter all the way to the Thanksgiving dinner that, oh, I think Peter Parker might actually be Spider-Man. What? Oh, no, not my favourite son that I don't have. <laughs> Yeah, also the moment you could just see um, Willem Dafoe 
his great acting skills, how he just would change in an instant, like uh, when Aunt May slaps him on the hand and he gives that evil look and then he sort of takes a deep breath and thinks about it. But you thought yeah. for that moment he was just going to lose it. Yeah. And it's it. also really interesting as well that Peter Parker is wearing the Green Goblin's colours during that dinner and Norman Osborn is wearing Spider-Man's colours. Ooh. Mm. I, never, I never picked yeah. up on that, actually. Yeah. Wow. Um, the Goblin and Mary Jane on the Brooklyn Bridge. Now, when I first saw that, as Spider-Man fans know, that's where Gwen Stacy was killed by the Green Goblin. I was I was nervous when I first saw that. Um, I didn't think they'd kill MJ, but, you know, maybe they were going to. Um so I thought that was a really good call uh, back to that because obviously when you make a movie, you don't know if it's going to be successful and you don't know whether you're going to be making sequels. So that's what got me worried then because, like, what if they do want to go for a shock moment and kill MJ? So I'm glad they didn't. Hmm. Uh, well, carrying on from that scene, I want to talk about a scene that happens very shortly after that bridge fight being when Green Goblin grabs Spider-Man, throws him into the nearby ruins, and then they have this awesome fight where Green Goblin just beats the crap out of Spider-Man and he brings him to his end, almost, essentially, and he's just gloating to him that he's won, and then he's like, well... I'm going to kill your little girlfriend. And then in a moment of just emergence, he gets all this energy and he just beats the crap out of the goblin. His identity is revealed as Norman. You get an emotional moment of Norman being like, I didn't do, I didn't want to do this. The My mental illness made me do this of the goblin. He made me do this thing. Just let me make up for this for you. I've been a father to you throughout the whole film. And then Peter Parker abruptly declares, you were never my father. That was Uncle Ben. I had a father. His name was Ben Parker. And yeah. then you get the iconic scene, which was amazingly directed. You see the glider come up behind Peter Parker. And then you see the speed at which it comes. And then you get the really close-up moment of Norman Osborn's face going, oh, as he realises he's stuffed up and dies. Yeah. Mm. And the one question I have with that is, why was he stabbed in the groin? I thought that when it stabbed him, I'm going, did that just get him in the junk? Because <laughs> it was below his waist, just... Pretty low, you know, and I didn't pick up on that the first time I watched it, but it's just, it, it looks so odd, the placing of the stabbing, and I don't understand why they did that. They could have made it just, just a little bit higher, you know, to go in the stomach. And what was his real plan? If it had stabbed Peter Parker, it would have stabbed him too. Probably. It yeah. was a bad plan. Like, he could have just shot him. Doesn't he have guns in that? Yeah, yeah, yep. true, true. But then again, he would have dodged that and shot himself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the, the, the Green Goblin didn't know about Spider-Man's spider sense. So yeah. He was trying to, so he was trying to sneak up on him, you know, and get him. And then I guess maybe he just thought he'd, he'd move out of the way if he stabbed Spider-Man. Mm. don't know. Um, All the momentum wouldn't go into him. I don't know. Don't know and as thought. Sam Raimi likes to do, he took the moment straight out of the comics as well. Like yeah. it's almost panel for panel how it happened. Yeah. yeah. One thing um, that bothers me as well um, in not just the Spider-Man movie, but in other things like, um, like let's say Smallville, the TV show about Superman or Lex Luthor, is the fact that this might sound cheesy, uh, which I'm willing to accept, and it might just, and I'm, it might be a me thing, and it also might um, might answer my question as to why I wouldn't be a good superhero. But one of the things that always bothers me is how Peter Parker lies to Harry Osborn, his best friend, 
and never tells him the truth. Not only that he's Spider-Man, but that his dad is the Green Goblin. It bothered me in Smallville as well, where Lex Luthor was such a good friend to Clark Kent in that show and proved his friendship over and over and over again. And throughout it all, the hero, Superman, or in this case, Spider-Man, never trusts their friend enough to confide in them and tell them the truth. And that's always bothered me because I've always thought, if I got superpowers tomorrow, who would I tell? And obviously the list would be very, very small, but I've got a feeling that I'd probably tell my best friend. Um, and if I didn't tell my best friend, if, if my superheroing life was affecting their life in some way, then I probably would be telling them in some way because these heroes are creating their own villains, you know? In, in Smallville, Lex Luthor was so hurt and upset that when he found out Clark Kent was Superman, he was so shattered by that that he ended up hating Clark Kent. When Harry Osborn later in the sequel discovers that Peter Parker's Spider-Man, he's shattered that he can't believe his best friend kept that secret from him. And, I, and I've got to admit, I agree with him. I think not telling your best friend is just wrong. Um, again, if your life isn't affecting their life, fair enough, don't tell them. But if you're fighting their, their dad or something where it's really close to home, tell them for crying out loud. You know, Mark, if I was fighting your dad, I'd like to think that I would turn around to you and say, hey, dude, I just want you to know I'm Spider-Man, you know. It's always bothered me that. There's also the other angle to that too, being that Norman is dead and Harry really looked up to Norman. Peter doesn't really want to desecrate Harry's memory of Norman. And as a result, he just doesn't tell him that Norman was the Green Goblin. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's a protection, uh, pr protection of his feelings, but we've all seen that that never really works. The truth works, you know. Yeah. So, exactly. Um, um, the, 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 the very ending of the film where Peter realises he now has to be alone, no Harry, no MJ, that was classic Spider-Man. Um, mm -hmm. I remember when he walks away and he's got the voiceover, I am Spider-Man. I was just like sitting in the cinema as a kid, a 20-year-old kid, going, <gasps> like, oh, this is amazing. But my favourite part of the movie, above all, that I would watch on repeat over and over and over again, just like um, Endgame, that, uh, that last battle with all the Avengers and all that, I'd watch that on repeat over and over and over again. The first time you ever see a good solid minute of Spider-Man swinging through the city. Dude! I used to love that so freaking much, man. We take it a little for granted now because you see it in all the movies, but, but the movie was over. Everything had happened. And then they show this swinging and swinging and flipping and swinging and then he goes to the building and lands and oh mm. that was that was gold and danny alfman's score as well in that scene it builds it up too and makes it even better yeah yep now did well, you know that the ending of the movie was actually changed no so I didn't you have, so if you play the game that is based on the movie it actually ends with him and MJ getting together. Oh. Interesting. It'd, it'd be very hard to uh, to do what he did originally in the movie. I mean, like, he's always wanted MJ. Temptation. You know, find it, especially as an 18, what, as an 18-year-old kid, find it very hard to believe that he knocked down the, the girl that he's always loved. Yeah. But that's yeah. how much he's responsibility means to him <laughs> yeah there's a lot of maturity on his part yeah yeah all right um anything else or do you want to go to the next segment let's go to the next one all yeah. right so the impact this movie had for comic book movies moving forward and pop culture in general ryan take it away all right, you can't talk about this movie without talking about the many memes that came from this movie as well <laughs> Like, I'm something of a scientist myself. 
classic meme. Look, you've got there is entire communities dedicated to just making memes from this movie and all three of the Raimi movies. Like, if you've never checked out r slash Raimi memes, go have a look. There's some really good stuff in there. Like, this movie as well, it also pretty much defined how to do an origin story perfectly, and every other movie after it would just copy the formula this movie set out. Ultimately, I'd say perfect like it's my favorite Spider-Man movie, personally. Yeah, because it set up a lot, didn't it? It just set the bar, and sort of people took inspiration from this, I guess, to to make their movies or make new origin stories. That this can work in cinema. Um, that was always the worry, wasn't it? Yeah, that this might not work in cinema, and Sam Raimi did the perfect job of making it work in cinema. And yeah everybody away and then we're, we're lucky to have what we have now and i don't think that would have happened if this really crashed absolutely absolutely i loved the costume when it came out um i've been a fan of nearly all the costumes in all the spider-man movies if i'm being honest but i, I when this one came out I, I really i really liked it um i loved the way the eyes looked i loved the way the raised webbing on his costume looked i just loved it all um, I think before this, the only the only well received comic book movies would have been Blade, Batman '89, maybe Superman, Batman, Superman yeah, yep. and um, and maybe the Ninja Turtles if you want to include X-Men. that. Was X Men before Spider Man? Yep, two thousand. Yep, okay. Then yeah, then X Men as well. So yeah, um, it's 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 definitely. Oh, can you imagine the Sony executives sitting there going, well, that was money well spent? Well, they made well, their money just on that, didn't they? Just that one movie. <laughs> a famous story of Sony being offered the whole Marvel Universe for like $15 million it might have been, yeah. and they said no. They said no, those characters, no one will ever want to watch those characters. And thank God they said that. Because mm. otherwise we would have nothing but Morbius movies all the time now. <laughs> and that would have only lasted about five years, you know. <laughs> um, but as far as pop culture, it's made a, a significant, significant impact. I remember when Spider-Man came out, um, I've still got the magazine. I've got it framed. He was on Time magazine. Spider-Man mm. was on Time magazine and for those people that are you know a bit younger you might not realize how incredible an achievement that is time magazine was always like the most hey like a president or something like that yeah and spider-man was on the front of time magazine that just shocked me um Mm. and it also made so much money for its time i think it was like um it would have been the highest grossing movie of that year. It, it was. It was the highest grossing movie for a long time. For a long, long time, Spider-Man was. Um, and, yeah, so obviously that, that shocked the world as well, uh, even if you weren't a fan of the movie, you know. You had to know Spider-Man all of a sudden. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, last but not least, Easter eggs. What you got, uh, I remember um, hearing Eddie Brock's name. Yep, yep, <laughs> Eddie Brock. They actually did cast him for the movie, but he got cut. Mm. Um, Dr. Mendel Strom, yeah. Norman Osborn works with. He's from the, the robot, comics. The robot master. Yep. Yep. Uh, we know um, uh, who Flash was, Joe... Mandy Glorio. Thank you. I don't know how to say his last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Octavia uh, Octavia Spence at the wrestling, who's now a big name in Hollywood. Um, she was just the ticket girl. Yep. Yeah, uh, Lisa. Yeah, the Lisa Banks, wasn't it? At working at the Daily Bugle. Yes. Although, yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, you're right. She was Betty Brandt. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, Lucy Lawless. There was a cameo with her when they're all interviewing the people. What do you think of Spider-Man? And she has this, like, punk rocker look on her, and she goes, a guy with eight hands sounds hot. Yeah, that was Lucy Lawless. See now. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> um, you said Eddie is mentioned. Dr. Connors is mentioned. Um, Stan Lee had his uh, tiny little cameo at the Macy Day Parade. Macy Gray was singing at the Macy Day Parade. And the last one I have is when the Green Goblin attacked them at the parade and he throws that pumpkin bomb at the balcony. Who was one of the guys running off the balcony? Nicholas Hammond, the original Spider-Man from the 70s. Oh. Oh. Just shows how old this movie is when Macy Gray was the, the, the act of the parade. Yeah. I mean, like, I haven't heard that name for about 20 years. Yeah. So. And that's Very all I've got for you, sir. That's about all of it, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pull more out. <laughs> <gasps> all right. You got anything else before we uh, wrap her up? Mm, not really. Yeah. yeah. We've covered it. Yeah. We've covered all bases pretty much, haven't we? Beauty. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you both for being here, especially yourself, Ryan. It's um, It's been really great to see you again. I really, really appreciate you being here. Um, you always bring something great to the table. So thank you for continuing that trend. Happy to be here. Yeah, good day, um, We're not sure when we're posting this video because we want to try and add a few things to it. Uh, so I'm not really sure what to say except uh, please look out for the 400 subscriber giveaway. It'll probably be revealed uh, what that's going to be by the time we air this. Um, please share this video around so that we can make this community grow more and we can bring more content to you. Don't forget to, ch uh, to check out ComX and uh, A51Designs on Instagram. That is all she wrote, ladies and gentlemen. Say goodbye, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll wrap her up. Goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. Goodbye, people. I'll wrap that up. <laughs> I always make that so Goodbye, well. gremlins and goblins. <laughs> All right, everybody, we will see you, no doubt, for Monday for the live chat, whatever number it is until then. Aussieverse for life.